Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. Well, Chad, I don't know if you've been following uh, Antonio Brown's off-the-field life. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, he was uh, on stage. He's, he's becoming a hip-hop artist, and he was on stage recently, and he, he did a dance um, that has caught fire. A lot of people are doing the Antonio Brown dance. I don't know if you know what it is, but... I've seen it. You kind of put your hands out like that, and you go back side to side. Um, and he's been retweeting a lot of people who are doing that dance. I don't know if he thinks they're not making fun of him or or not, or if he thinks it's a dance crave that's sweeping the nation. But um, Antonio Brown is a certain kind of dude. Um, he posted something a couple days ago, and I'm going to read it. My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet or throwing rocks at that UPS driver. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a, lip, a victory lap around the Jets stadium mid-game while throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a live game. Sure, I can watch the game afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that, like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. That was Antonio <laughs> Brown said that. I don't know if you know, but uh, do you know who Antonio Brown's college wide receiver coach was? No. Coach Azani. Oh. Broncos receiver coach. Um, but Antonio Brown had some stuff to say yesterday. And this was actually um, after he posted a photo of him hanging out with Kanye, uh, which is unrelated to what I'm about to say. And he also tweeted, overlay for the underlay, whatever that means. Okay. But the tweet in, in question that I want to get run by you says, Alex Guerrero, I think he meant Guerrero, you think I won't have you smacked at TB12? Stop playing with me. Boys getting paid by the bucks and taking players' money, too. He also had a tweet about Tom Brady. Tom Brady manipulates the game, gets 14 days to go home and get his mind right, LOL. Now you see the difference. Now, aside from all of Antonio Brown's antics, does he have a point that Tom Brady is getting some kind of pat? Tom Brady has disappeared from his team. Mm-hmm. In the middle of training camp, mm-hmm. with not a word on why or how or where or when he'll be back, he just ghosted his teammates, and no one's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Is there a double standard here, Chad? Uh, without knowing specifically what Tom's reasons are for leaving, uh, I I don't feel comfortable saying that. Um, Antonio Brown, and you know, I, I feel there's a little discomfort here. Uh, because I am not a psychologist, but there certainly appears to be some type of mental issues going on with Antonio Brown. The fact that he's hanging with Kanye, who's also showed he's mostly likely suffering from some mental issues as well. You think so? Uh, I believe, yes. So those two together um, doesn't surprise me to see the kind of tweets coming from Antonio Brown. So part of me is like, we got to stop talking about this guy because... He's, he's a, he, you know, when he goes to these mental episodes, uh, he gets what he wants, which is, which is attention. But in the end, 
I'm not sure how to deal with it because on one hand, it's ridiculous and slightly funny, but on the other hand, it's kind of sad. Here's one of the, literally one of the most talented receivers to ever play in the NFL who could not keep his head on right uh, long enough to actually secure the kind of legacy that his talent and skill set deserves. Any, any credence to the idea that he couldn't keep his head on right uh, ever since Vontez Perfect almost took it off in that game? Uh, I'm sure concussions. And People are correlating his 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 behavioral downslide mm. to that moment there. I'm sure concussions and mental illness don't play well with each other. Um, that was an extremely vicious hit, no doubt about that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not enough of a neurologist to be able to say with any definitive way, but yeah, I, I don't think it helped. Let's put it that way. It was not a helpful hit uh, as far as Antonio Brown's mental health. So, yeah, part of me wants to, you know, part of me laughs at it and giggles and sees the ridiculousness of it. Other part of me is like, ah, this dude's going through something. Um, so is it sad? Do we comment? Do, do we, you know, how deep down the rabbit hole do we go? Um, but specifically to your question about yeah, I was Tom more, Brady. Yeah, I was more using that to set up t- Tom Brady yeah. and, t- and the unusual departure that's existing right now in Tampa. He left in the middle of training camp. Now, Tom's mom was super sick a couple years ago. And she was, what, she fought off or was in the middle of a cancer she battle? Cancer, yeah. yeah, so has her cancer returned and Tom not wanted to talk about that publicly and just chose to be private and spend some time with his mom? I, it, it could be something like that. Um, I don't think Tom is jet-setting around the world currently. Um, I believe it's probably a significant personal issue. Knowing Tom and know how, know how, how important football is to Tom. What uh, else could he be doing? I, I, that's why I think it's got to be something like some kind of issue major with a family member, something like that. What else would he be doing? Well, apparently this was already like I guess they alluded to the fact that they they knew about it, but they didn't share that with everybody effectively. So it caught, caught everybody by surprise. But he had told them about this time he was going to have to miss. Right. In the middle of August. So, yeah, was it some kind of surgical procedure for a family member that I was already scheduled and he wanted to be there for the whole recovery and all that. Um, I, I, I don't know, but it, it's hard to imagine a player as accomplished as Tom, um, who pours so much of himself into the game. You know, he's got, he built a field in Costa Rica, just like Russell has his field in San Diego. Tom has that in Costa Rica. Does at, he? At the compound there. He's got he has pads. a compound in, Co- in Costa Rica? Yeah. Sure. He's got pads and cleats and, and, Balls and cones and sh- you know the the whole shebang bang down there. So no matter where he's at, he can get a workout too. He's always just that same kind of focus, dedication, uh, deliberate approach that Russell Wilson has. So for a guy to suddenly be like, oh, I'm gonna go home and just you know lay on the couch for two weeks while the rest of my teammates are struggling at camp. Well, he almost retired and then he unretired. Right, because he loves football. Not not that much apparently. But I, He's leaving in the middle of training camp, Chad. I, I don't think this has got anything to do with his love for the game. I think it's got something to do with love for something bigger than the game. Well, Okay, someone's texting. I heard he's taking time off because he's filming a movie. Uh, How would you feel about that, Chad? If your starting quarterback leaves in the middle to go film a movie. That would not be good. That would not be good. No, you, you don't miss team. You don't miss team, any team activity. So if you were, if you were uh, the Bucks, okay, and Tom Brady says, I'm retiring. And then he comes back and says, you know what? I'm not going to retire. I'll come back. But you guys got to know, I got to miss two weeks in the middle of August because I already got this thing <laughs> scheduled. But I'm but I'm back if you want me. And I understand mm. if you don't. 
Mm. You going to uh, move on and go with Kyle Trask? <laughs> nope. Uh, or are you going to give Tom what he wants? You, Tom gets what he wants, but, man, that is an ugly, ugly precedent. That is an organization completely uh, kind of crass, bending over to the demands of, of a player where they don't have another option. Um, that's ugly. You know, this is a great opportunity for Kyle Trask. Uh, not, that he's, not that he's going to Wally Pip Tom Brady here mm. in any way, um, but still, man, that would not be good. That wouldn't. Oh, that would not be good. Hopefully, that's not the case because you know Tom has obviously got enough skins on the wall to be considered the greatest of all time. But he's also got enough controversies associated with him um, to begin for other folks to chip away at that greatest of all time. And this would be another one of those things that would tarnish his legacy in the eyes of some people. Some some people saying kids go back to school, guys. When has Brady ever been around for those first two weeks? What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. I mean, kids go back to school this time of year. I I, I think that's what the texture's talking about. And Tom wants to be there to have to see his kids off for school. I, I to see that. his kids off for school, first day of school kind of thing, but not for two for weeks. Two weeks, not for two weeks. No, no. Um, yeah, it's confusing, man. I mean, like, if Russell Wilson did that, what, what, what would we be saying? If Russell Wilson disappeared and wasn't here right now? We would be killing Russell Wilson. His his off-the-field persona has become too big. It's affecting the on-the-field product. You know, hanging out in uh, F1 races with Sir Lewis Hamilton and at Wimbledon with uh, Melody uh, Hobson and all that other stuff and seeing the Queen. Uh, now it's, it's, it's overtaking football. It's more important. We would be killing Russell Wilson for this. Yeah, and um, and thankfully, Russell is all in, and he did that in the off season, and uh, and Tom Brady, Tom Brady led the league in passing yards last year. He yeah, could've, he could have made a, a case for being the MVP. He went there in Rodgers for for two years in a row, but Tom Brady, man, he had the opportunity to walk away, and now he's uh, filming a movie. And I just think that it's going to be hard for him to come back and get in the groove without Bruce Arians as, you know, as the head coach and the guy. Like, Todd Bowles is your head coach now. Uh, he's a defensive-minded head coach. Right. It's going to look different there. I don't know, man. He, I think he's setting this up to, to fall to pieces before he walks Oh, away. wow. Well, okay, just to be clear, uh, there's no confirmation on Tom Brady filming a movie, which you just said like it was a definitive fact. A lot, a lot of Tom Brady defense coming from you, man. Well, because it deserves, my friend. it deserves to be defended. Um, Harold. I love Tom Brady. Harold Goodwin and Byron Leftwich are still the run game and the pass game coordinator in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Bruce Arians has gone, but you know he didn't call plays. But Byron Leftwich called plays last year. Um, Todd Bowles is a really good head coach. Again, I did that internship with him while, when I was, when he was with the Jets. Awful, awful. One of the worst rosters in NFL history. Managed to win five or six games, which was a huge accomplishment that I thought. Um, so yeah, I got, I got a lot of faith in Todd. Um, and if Tom is filming a movie, I'll eat my words. I'll be disappointed uh, in Tom. And that would be another stain upon his legacy. Um, that would be kind of a self-inflicted wound, man. You, 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 I know movie productions, you know, takes millions of dollars and you can't, you know, you can't stop and you can't reset it once the, the, that train is in motion, but it's, you would be, yeah, I, I think there, there's there's other movies in the future, Tom. So, well, some folks are saying that he's working on his marriage. He has some marital issues. Giselle has Take indicated time. his her desire for him to stop playing. Yeah, and he wants to keep playing. So there's all there's lots of pieces to it. I don't, I, you know, we're just all guessing and uh, supposing here. Uh, when we come back, I do want to dive into the Broncos. 
cuts. Uh, they had to get the roster down from 90 to 85 yesterday. Uh, some of those guys on the cut list are names uh, we've talked about a few times. That's next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Uh, yesterday, five players from all 32 teams, 160 guys, got uh, some bad news that their football futures are, at the very least, on hold and maybe over. Yeah, man. Uh, so for the Denver Broncos, they parted ways with safety Jamar Johnson. Led the team in tackles in the game. Yep. Uh, running back Max Borgie. Local legend. Tight end Rodney Williams. Didn't do much in camp. He had some chances, too, and he just didn't take advantage of them. Wide receivers, Caden Davis. Caden Davis, first man out every day catching jugs. He was doing what he could. Yep. He just got lost. And Travis Fulgham. Same. I mean, those are just two dudes who, who kind of got lost in the back end of the that receiver room and didn't make enough plays, didn't make enough special plays to stick around, and, and probably not special teams guys. You know, didn't show up on special teams, didn't make an impression to Coach Stoops, Stooks, not Stoops, Stooks. So, uh, yeah, man, those guys, and it's hard. You, you mentioned their 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 careers might be over. It's it's when you're the fir- part of the first cuts. It's it's likely those are over. You know, unless you play in a different league. You know, the guys who are like last cut guys, practice squad guys, or guys who are like really on the bubble and they had to really figure out if these guys were going to belong or not, and then they get to. You know, they, they cast them off, but they're, they're like, stay by the phone. If we get an injury, we're going to call you. It's hard to have that conversation with the guys who are in the first group of five cuts and have that sink in. So those guys are going to have some soul-searching to do, and hopefully they, they can land on a team somewhere. Um, but uh, it's a tough road. It is. There's another round of cuts coming up, and they have to get down to 80 players. Oh, uh, is that right? Yeah, I'm trying to look this up. Cuts. <laughs> Okay. Well, while you're looking for that, the I... 23rd, Tuesday the 23rd. There we go. They got to get down from 85 to 80. And then what's the last cut? The third and final roster cuts are August 30th, Tuesday. And they got to get down to 53. Get down to 53. From 80 to 53. That's yes. a, that's a, that's a bloody bloody Monday. Yeah, that's a sad day for a lot of people. But then a lot of those guys will get the nod to practice squad. So. What happens for that last cut is, man, if you're on the bubble and you're trying to make plays in that game, and then after the game's over, they tell you, you know, be by your phones tomorrow. Um, and then if you get that call from the facility, man, <sighs> you don't want to answer it. You got to answer it, and they're going to call, and they're going to tell you to either they're going to tell you to come and bring in your iPad, yep, or they're going to say we're going to cut you today, but as as long as you clear waivers, we're going to bring you back on the practice squad. That's right. what ha- that's what happened to me. Um, Got cut, had to go in, but then the next day I got signed to their practice squad, and and back then there were only five practice squad guys, five or eight. Now there's sixteen, but it's amazing how small the room looks when after those cuts are made. Yeah, you know when you get used to, and this is ninety guys, it used to be eighty. Mm-hmm. When you get used to that many dudes in the room, it's just a full room all the time, and then all of a sudden that last cut, man, a lot of your buddies are gone, mm-hmm. a lot of empty seats in that room, and coach always says, "Hey, look around." Yep, this is. This is this is the team now. You guys made it, and now it's time to go to work. Now it's time to prepare for a real game, um, and that's a that's a really special feeling when you become part of that group and and you go onward into the regular season. 
the uh, the extra lockers get taken out of the locker room. Yeah. The kind of that island, the portables. The, yeah. the island in the middle of lockers. Now it's just the lockers that are all line the walls. That middle island goes away. There's more room at, at the locker room and the showers at the stadium. The uh, you don't have to share shower heads anymore. Yeah. The chairs get uh, rearranged in the position rooms because it was, you know, 12 guys in the receiver room. Well, was it 15 guys in the receiver room? Now it's just going to be seven or maybe eight, including practice squad guys. So all that kind of stuff happens, and these shifts happen. But the next round of cuts, uh, Tuesday the 23rd, so just, uh, uh, what, uh, six days away, five more Broncos will get the sad news. Another 160 guys from around the league. But as this starts to happen, as this process happens, uh, George Payton and his personnel staff will be looking at these, you know, cuts. And maybe there was somebody who they wanted to bring in as an undrafted free agent who went some other place, and they think that guy's a better fit here in Denver. So uh, not only do you have these five guys who get cut, there could be a couple of other guys who get cut and uh, other folks come in to fill those roster spots from other teams because they think they can improve uh, over what the Broncos have here right now. So there's always that process there but uh yeah so sad sad surprised by any of those cuts um you know not i guess borgie's the probably the biggest one because the broncos signed two running backs i think on thursday last week so i guess they just saw board those guys as um having more potential than than borgie i think the the thing with borgie is in the end just simply going to be the the size factor and the inability to provide any real pass pro options. Um, same thing with Philip Lindsay, similar kind of thing. Um, I think both guys are tough guys. Both guys were very productive in college. Max Borgie was a stud at Washington State. Um, and in the right system, I think both guys can be effective. But at some point, if you were going to be the third down back and you want to get him out there and run screens with them and, and routes against linebackers, Defensive coordinators are going to re- respond with a blitz package. And that guy's got to stay in to pick up a blitzing safety or a blitzing linebacker. And unfortunately for both those guys, the physics just aren't on their side. They're just simply not big enough to be able to handle a 250-pound blitzing linebacker. And these guys are both well under 200 pounds. So Jamar Johnson, fifth-round draft pick just last year. Yeah. Spent some time injured last year, so didn't really get to show his stuff. And then had a decent camp. And led the team in tackles, and then they cut him. Why? Why? I, I don't know. I don't have enough detail on that. Uh, obviously, we're not in those meeting rooms. You know, was he a mistake repeater? Was he a guy who just you know couldn't find ways to uh, clean up some of his mistakes and pave new ground? Because every coach knows you're going to make mistakes, particularly when something's new. But you know, you made your mistake. Now let's fix it and not make it again. Uh, so I'm not saying he was, but it could be something like that. You played well on game day and you made some tackles but also there was this bust assignment there was this miscommunication and we never really had the full trust in you to be able to do x y and z um for the receivers i think uh caden davis certainly put in a strong effort showing up to to practice the first guy out there every single day we did see him get some action returning kicks um so there was a bit of an opportunity there on special teams but as we talked about yesterday this wide receiver room is crowded yeah. And uh, not all those guys can, can make it. And the possibility of really good football players being let go by the Denver Broncos who may get picked up and be part of someone else's active roster, I think, is out there. Yep. There's a lot of talent in that room. And uh, for Caden Davis and Travis Fulgham, 
I just think they were just stuck in a bad situation at the back end of that roster because we saw some glimpses and glimmers from them. Caden Davis, uh, I think, far too many drops uh, here, and maybe the opportunity to go someplace else and establish a, a new set of thinking about him. I'm thinking if you're Nathaniel Hackett, you go, yes, I like what you do, I like your work ethic, but man, you got to catch the ball better. You think he had drop issues, Caden Davis? I wouldn't say issues, but I do recall a number of drops during practice that well, we were at. If it's a number of drops, that's an issue. Right. Um, someone texted in, Nate, help me, the average listener, understand how someone goes from being on my fantasy team a couple years ago to being a first cut. Uh, Travis Fulgham. Oh. Travis Fulgham has four years' experience in the NFL. So does Trey Quinn, who, 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 who you know, withstood that first cut. But... Those guys, Trey, Trey Quinn is a long shot to make it. Travis Fulgham obviously already got cut. It just speaks to the crowded nature of this receiver room and probably every single receiver room in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Right? And so does, is Travis Fulgham going to get a chance somewhere else or is every single team feeling the same thing? Like we got a dearth of receivers. Dearth. Dearth. Uh, there's also salary cap implications. When you're in your fourth year, you make more money than you do with someone in their first year. Um, and for George Payton, if he's looking to looking at that wide receiver room, recognizing that it's it's a packed room and we got some really promising young talent, um, and those guys make a, a third or a quarter of what Travis does as a fourth year player, it could just be a simple salary cap move. I can get similar performance for less money. Why would I not do that as a GM? Um. Yeah, agreed. You know, every every year you play in the NFL, even if you're on a minimum salary, it goes up about eighty grand per guy. Or I'm sorry, per per season. Right. Right. So that matters. I mean, but does it really though when the salary cap is like two hundred and twelve million dollars? Oh there's eighty thousand or or really four you know, four year guy who's making probably eight hundred thousand dollars versus six hundred thousand dollars. Does that matter? Uh it, it it matters, I think, to a certain extent. And I think once you get to year five or six the team gets minimum salary cap protection. So basically, there's something the NFLPA put into once you get to year five or six, uh, there was complaints that, oh, you started making so much money, it just makes sense for the club to always keep younger guys. Yeah. So once you get to year five or six, your salary, even though it may be, uh, you know, your 10 year plus guy and you're making over a million bucks a year, you only count as a year five guy from a minimum salary standpoint against the salary cap. So that was a protection that was put in by the PA. And maybe Travis Fulgham is not protected by that because he doesn't have enough years of service. There's some details there, uh, some salary cap maneuvering kind of thing. But yeah, to save a couple hundred grand and get equal performance, why would you not do that if you're George Payton? Yeah, I guess I mean, right. You know, you're looking at the same orange not, juice. not even equal performance. I mean, I think the other guys are performing better right. than Travis Fulgham did. There we go. Some some folks are texting in that they could see Fulgham ending up in Chicago because the Bears have no receivers. Someone else texted in, whoever had Fulgham on their fantasy team must have lost everything, <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which is I, also pretty accurate. When I heard that, I thought, oh, I don't know who's doing your picking, man. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we got uh, my guys Lammy. got that. We got Cecil Lammy coming up, and uh, we can ask him. Maybe he's got some details on these receivers. Um, yeah, Cecil, he's next. Denver Sports Station 1043, the fan presents Chad and Nate. We welcome in our boy. Cecil Lammy. How you doing, Cease? 
What is up? Hold on, wait, let me finish. Sorry. Let me finish. I'm finally getting some yard work done because, like, during training camp, nothing at the house can get done. So grass is long, weeds are growing, like, all that kind of stuff. So after training camp, uh, try to catch up on all the stuff I missed out on for two weeks. You're that kind of neighbor, huh? You just let it go buck wild for three weeks? I tell everybody, too. I, I, I apologize. I, I've got some neighbors that will kind of help me out. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I, I'm that guy because during training camp, man, it's just underwater time. That's too funny. You're like a player. Like, I'm going to training camp. Um, I'm not going to be around much. I'm going to be really busy and tired. So, right. uh, you know, you got to excuse my lawn. That's too funny, man. I'm loving it. Yeah, well, I do. I am like the water boy. You know, I do like to pretend that uh, I'm around football. So uh, I am around football. But, uh, yeah, man, I just I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. But, uh, yeah, the yard kind of goes to crap until I get back on it. All right. uh, Nate and I were just talking about the uh, first round of cuts, moving the roster from 90 to 85. Uh, Any surprises on that cut list for you? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen – Travis Fulgham get more of a shot. He put together some good plays uh, in training camp. And Caden Davis was the guy you guys would say every day. He's out there first. And I was like, maybe, you know what I mean, doing that kind of stuff, maybe that's something. And it's not like he put together bad strings of practices. No, he was solid in what he did. And he was the first one out there and showing that dedication. Um, You know, so I, I could say that about all of these players. But it's those two wide receivers specifically that I look at and I go, you know what? Um, they, they, there's something there now, are they ever starters or whatever? No, probably not. But those type of reserve guys, the dedicated guys, it's what I always say about Kendall Hinton, you know, every team needs that type of player, like a Kendall Hinton. Well, maybe Caden Davis is that guy, you know, maybe not for the Broncos, but maybe somewhere else, maybe Max Borgie's that type of guy. So, uh, maybe not necessarily surprised that he even brought up Fulgham as a potential, you know, first cut type of guy just because that wide receiver room is so packed, but it's kind of a sad time. Um, maybe it's an advantage because you get out there first before the rest of the guys get cut at the end of August and you got this scramble for all these teams out there. I'm not sure, but I hope that these guys can get picked up and continue their football careers. So Cecil, you're a diligent scout. You pour over all the talent in, in college coming out every year. And we've been hearing that the receiver depth is getting, well, deeper and deeper every year. There's just more and more deep receiver uh, deep, deep receiver class. Right. So, so, so is every team having the same sort of issues with having too many good receivers? Like when you put Caden Davis and Travis Fulgham out on the streets, is another team going to pick them up, or are they dealing with the same type of issue, a bunch of receivers and can't keep them all? You know, and I think this is a fascinating conversation, Nate, and you're on to something. The only problem is teams like Chicago exist, where it's like, let's go trade for Nikhil Harry. I mean, they got nothing outside of Darnell Mooney. They have zero, absolutely nothing. I would take I would take all these guys, take the guys that get cut, Caden Davis, Travis Fulgham, and take all the Broncos reserve receivers and your Tyree Clevelands or whoever, and they're better than what the Bears have except for Darnell Mooney. So, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you, and I think it's probably just a change in the college game, you know, where it's just become so pass-happy. College football is almost completely different from pro football. Uh, and, and that college pass-happy game and – spreading out the formations and just guys throwing all the time. It's why, you know, a guy like Bailey Zappi can turn heads at Western Kentucky because he's throwing it 700 times, you know, and 
So you're putting up these numbers, but it's the small nuances. You know, what are you doing to separate yourself um, as a collegian and, and to sharpen your game for pro football? You know, getting open, running routes. These are things that in college you're automatically open because you're usually just out athleting somebody. And I'll give you an example. I, I write every day about Romeo Dalbs. The what is he fourth or fifth rounder from Nevada? That's fourth the rounders now. Yeah, yeah, fourth rounder. Every day there's something about that guy. A guy's killing it. Well, why? Because when he was at Nevada, you know, he's maybe not the biggest guy, maybe not the fastest guy, but he was sharp with what he did, his route running, all that, and that's why he's outshining Christian Watson there, who's their second rounder. Watson's also banged up, but still, like the talk of their camp is that young kid because he was so polished. So for these college receivers, yeah, you're going to put up the numbers because the game is just that way. But are you going to show off that you know NFL skill, the route running, the sharpness, the dedication, like a Romeo Dobbs is doing in Green Bay? I think that'll be the difference in evaluation when you're looking at these college receivers. Uh, Coach Hackett has been playing his cards pretty close to the vest. Uh, he says, he, you know, I don't like the preseason, but I think I got something out of doing that first preseason game. But playing, keeping his cards close to the vest as far as who plays, how much they're going to play, all of that kind of stuff. Put on your Coach Hackett hat. Uh, how do you handle this game against Buffalo? Uh, do, you, do we see the starters out there if it's uh, Coach Cecil? Well, if it's Coach me, yes. <laughs> if it's Coach me, I play Russell Wilson for a half. But that's not going to happen. You know, I don't think we're going to see Russell Wilson at all. Now, if Russell Wilson were to make that call and say, hey, coach, I don't feel right unless I get some work in the preseason, give me a drive, give me a couple drives, give me a quarter, you know, something like that. I believe if Russell Wilson says something, Nathaniel Hackett will do it. If not, um, football is such a business now, and these guys are worth so much money that you're just not going to play anybody that doesn't really need it. And to be honest, as someone who has every preseason game on tape from the year 2000 till now, except for week four, because week four is always, it didn't, didn't matter a whole lot. But, you know, I love the preseason, but I'm here to tell you it matters for like 10 guys on your roster. Now, who are those 10 guys? I think that's important, you know, because that's where you can find the gems. That's where you can find those guys. You know, I always reference that it only took one game for C.J. Anderson as rookie to make the 53, and then he got hurt. <laughs> he played one game against Seattle, had like, you know, 50 yards or something, and then he got hurt, banged up his knee, but he still made the 53 after the first preseason game. So these preseason games don't count, but they do matter, but they only matter for a small handful of players. And I'm just coming to the realization as I'm getting older, I just got to let it go. You know, football used to be this. Okay. Yeah. But football's this now, but they're not going to hit, you know, they're not going to do all these things. There are no more two a days. You know, there's no more of that grind. All right. I still love it. Uh, you can still have a great product. Maybe your September's a little rough in the regular season, but I don't think that any significant starter is going to play on Saturday morning against Buffalo. VHS, DVDs, hard drive. Where are these preseason games yeah. located? And well, uh, do you I'll have a storage a unit for it? Yeah, I'll take a picture in my little home studio. Um, I, it's mostly still VHS. Um, <laughs> I do have a, quite a bit of DVDs, and then I put more on hard drive. So every off season, I try to 
take the old VHS converter and just convert stuff to digital. It'd be much, much better for me. But yeah, most of it's still on uh, old VHS. Started with a Chicago-New Orleans preseason game in 92 because I wanted to see Von Dunbar out of Indiana. <laughs> I really liked his game. So, that's a blast uh, that's, from the past. That's where my collection started. Cecil, so um, when we talk about playing the starters, quote, playing the starters in preseason, it, it doesn't go over well. But let's talk about individual guys who need the work prior to the regular season starting, who might be starters. Like, which, yeah. you know, some of these guys don't need to go out there, but some actually do. So if you were the head coach and you're looking at individual guys that you're going to be relying on week one, who are those guys you want to get time for? Yeah, this is the Calvin Anderson portion of the discussion. Like, if you're looking at guys that could be starters, and we've got to see where Billy Turner's at, because I really think with Calvin Anderson's play, and it's strange, and guys, I don't know exactly how this happened, but like the first 10 days, Calvin Anderson was real solid. You know, wasn't the greatest ever, but he was real solid. And then those last four days, Malik Reed started working him, and all of a sudden, it just slide, just an avalanche, just a total slide. And for four days, he was rough. And then, you know, preseason game, rough. Uh, scrimmage Dallas against Dallas for joint practice, it was rough. So, like, most of training camp, Calvin Anderson was pretty good. And then there was, like, four days in a row where he was not real good at all. So that's a big question mark. So for me, depending on the health of Billy Turner, because if Turner's healthy, he's the guy. I've kind of always thought that. But Anderson had an opportunity to change everybody's mind and say, hey, Billy Turner, we can ease you back in. We don't need to rush you. Now you're kind of like, hey, Billy, how you feeling? Because of the way that Calvin Anderson has played. So he's the one that springs out uh, to me. I think Quinn Miners obviously needs that as well. And I've noticed something in, in practice during camp. It seems like most of the success is running to the left side. And I think that's because Bulls, Reisner, Cushenberry, they're all solid, right? I, I think we all can believe in those three this year and this scheme, how it's better fit for all of them, honestly, especially Cushenberry. But that right side of the offensive line, Big-time question marks. So Quinn Miners, Calvin Anderson, they got to rely on you early. You better get some preseason reps. Good stuff, Cecil. Appreciate it, my friend. Be good, fellas. Later, Cecil. Cecil Lammy, presented by Golden Oak Lending. The Chargers uh, continue to uh, bolster their defense. Uh, signed one of their best players to a record-breaking deal. Talk about that next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. Billy Ocean, James Lofton, Hall of Famer, shared a broadcast booth a time or two with James Lofton. Heinz Ward. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe the most physical blocking receiver of all time. A lot of defensive players call him dirty. Uh, There was was the Heinz Ward's rule the NFL had to come out with that receivers couldn't go down field and crack back block. Because he broke uh, a linebacker's jaw from the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, it's funny. The defensive players can hit offensive players when they're not looking, though. <laughs> and then it happens once to you guys. You're like, wait, that's not fair. That is not fair. you got to change the rules for that. 
How many how many offensive players have you hit when they are not looking at you? Oh, as many as I could. Right. Yeah. And then one hits you and then you gotta change the rules. <laughs> it's so funny. These these defensive players are supposed to be the tough guys. Is uh is Heinz Ward a Hall of Famer? Numbers wise, no, but impact wise. Um I would say no. Okay. I would say no just because yeah, I don't know. Because it is yeah, he re he, he like he kind of sort of I wouldn't say redefined the position, but he added like an element of toughness to that position that was a huge asset to his team, and and it made guys like you actually think about him. Oh, in the yeah. running game, you know what I mean, which is which is super rare and a and a big advantage for his offense to have safeties and linebackers having to put their head on a swivel, worrying about this receiver coming and cracking him under the jaw. For sure, that's a. That's an attribute to your team, and it's something that not a lot of re- teams have, a receiver that's a dog like that going and hunting the contact and taking your mind off of what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I'm trying to make a tackle if I'm playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I am well aware of where Heinz Ward is on the field at all times. Not just because, you know, he can play quarterback at Georgia, could throw the pass and all that kind of stuff, but yes, from a safety standpoint, personal safety standpoint, I need to identify where this dude is because at any moment – he could come and literally try to knock my block off. And he was always doing it with a smile, too. Yes. Like he always had the smile on his face, which I always appreciated. Yeah. Uh, number 86, also tight end Rodney Williams was one of the cuts. Yes. Just got cut. There we go. All right, the Los Angeles Chargers uh, have been uh, getting uh, active this entire offseason on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they acquired Khalil Mack earlier this offseason uh, from the Chicago Bears to – Form a pass rushing duo with Joey Bosa. Macaroni. Uh, Bosa's going under a, he's got a hundred and something million dollar deal. So there we go there. Uh, JC Jackson, five Mm. years, $82 million in free agency. Uh, They added defensive lineman uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, and Morgan Fox. And now they secure Derwin James with a uh, highest paid safety deal. $76 $76 million over four years. Comes out to about $19.13 million bucks a year. Topping our own Justin Simmons. Justin's around $15 million bucks a year. Yeah, next man up type of thing, right? Yep. Um, yeah, Derwin James is just kind of a freak. He's 6'2", 215-pound guy who can do a lot at that position. Um, he he can uh, kind of open the playbook for the defensive coordinator to, to send him in a lot of areas and and uh, got hurt a couple of years ago. So 2018, he played in. He started all 16 games. Um, 2019, he got hurt and only played in five games. Last year, he played in 15 games. So I, I think they think or they hope the injury issue is behind him. Um, but that that team is pretty stacked, right? That on paper they're pretty stacked. But they were next to last last year in stopping the run as a defense. They weren't a very good defense. Yeah, and Brandon Staley is a defensive-minded head coach. You know, he's a disciple of Vic Fangio-style defense. Um, you know, but I just listed, they added a lot of defensive linemen. Uh, they bring in uh, Khalil Mack to pair up with Bosa from a pass-rest standpoint. They got the best available cornerback in free agency last year in J.C. Jackson. And now they secure Derwin James for their future. So I think that defense is definitely going to be better. better. Uh, I don't think they'll be anywhere near the bottoms of the league as they were last year. Will they be top 10, top 15? Uh, time will tell, but they'll definitely be better. So I know there's always the discussion about the Chargers here on the station, and at some point, you know, someone says, well, the Chargers are going to charge her. 
Mm. Which means they're going to blow it. They're going to be close, but not good enough. Right. Um, you know, that, close, but no cigar. Right. As what, they said. What they did last year and that game against the Raiders to determine who was going to go yeah, to the playoffs. They had it. I can't believe they, all they had just, to do was tie. All they had to do just just shake hands before the game. Brandon no, Stanley, we're going to do it our way. But we're going to we're going to lose. Just, we're going to do it our way. No, just tie it up and both you guys go in the playoffs. I couldn't believe <laughs> watching that game go down. How it all went down. Well, it's almost like he didn't understand what was happening. And 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 and, and later on, he said he was trying to get his defense right. And you know, he was. It was like he wasn't tuned into the moment of the game, didn't understand what was at stake and how to accomplish what the ultimate goal was, which was make the playoffs. Right. Maybe, but maybe not. I just don't think Brandon Staley's as good as everyone thinks he is. Maybe maybe he's going to prove that he's better. Um, but to me, he, he hung his team out to dry. Okay, so they got a promising, not promising, a beyond promising, a what folks think of as a great young quarterback in Justin Herbert. He's got talent at the wide receiver position. We just talked about these defensive additions uh, and now securing some of these guys for the long-term future of the Chargers. Do you think Brandon Staley is the weak link over there? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe so. Just because of, to me, like, you know, you got to know when to punt the, the football. <laughs> that's that's the strategy. Like, that's part of being a head coach. It's right? not like every time we're going to go for it, we're going to do it our way. You know, we lose, we're going to do it our way. That's that to me. That's kind of ignorant, and that's actually blaming it or like placing the blame on analytics and not on yourself. Like have the cojones to make difficult decisions, and it's not just going for it whenever you, you, a fourth down comes up. It's weighing the situation in the game, understanding where your team's at, and understanding what's at stake, and trusting your defense to make a stop if you punt the ball. That's just smart football, and just to go for it all the time on fourth down because you got Justin Herbert is like to me. Bad football. Playing silly games. There's an article at the uh, the Athletic about Brandon Staley. Uh, I haven't read it. I've opened I've opened up, so I've got the window open when I get this 10 minutes of 15 minutes of time to read it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I read the first paragraph. You know, he's the uh, son of two school teachers. Um, I guess in the, in the point of this interview, he jumped up and grabbed a book off the shelf because the question about analytics comes up. And some of these decision-making things. So it'll be interesting to get a little. Well, what bit book of, did he grab off the show? I don't know. I don't know because I was like football for dummies. I, I, I was going to sit down. And, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> I was going to read it, and then the, you know I was at the office, and the phone rang, and some one of my employees walked in, so I didn't get a chance to finish. But I'm looking forward to finishing it because I want to get some insight into. You had to have learned a tremendous amount about making decisions as a head coach, uh, deciding from the gut and not relying on analytics understanding football situations a little bit better. There has to be a ton of regret with some of those decision make, decisions made last year because it's just like it, it's just so counter to winning football games. But I think he's doubling down on it. He's basically saying if we're going to lose, we're going to do it our way. Would you still Would you lose? rather lose your way or win like the traditional way? I'd rather win. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's about winning for me. Yeah. So, all right, well, the Chargers on paper. the Chargers. They have improved. You are saying they're going to charge her. Brandon Staley is going to Brandon Staley and make dumb decisions. But they are certainly doing what they can from a personnel standpoint to bolster their defense. So once again, this AFC West divisional race is going to be more about just the quarterbacks, although maybe the best quarterback division of all time. I think the thought that the defenses will determine this division, uh, I still think that's a strong, strong possibility. Dearth. I I misused it earlier in the in the show, and I wanted to make that correction. The word dearth 
means a scarcity or lack of something. I used it in the opposite factor or or, or way, and uh, one of our smart texters alerted me to that, and I appreciate that. Dearth means a scarcity, not an abundance. Well, there's a dearth of time left in this show, so that's hey. it for you and I. Stokely and Zach, those guys are next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.